This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And we have another podcast on leading from the front. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Have you ever heard that people's skills are soft and too hard to measure their impact? Or you feel you know what high performance looks like, but find it hard to describe? Well, our guest today is going to help us understand all of this. And she is the CEO and founder of Remarkable Leadership Lessons. And I want to welcome Denise Cooper to our podcast today. Hi there, Denise. How are you doing? I am fabulous. What can I tell you? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what you can tell us. Let's talk a little bit about your background and uh, why you're so fabulous. Oh, well, I'll take the easy question first. Why, okay. why am I fabulous? Because um, it's a gorgeous day, sunny, and... Um, you know, life is good. Life is very good. And I have a very optimistic view about no matter what's going on around us, we, if we put our heads together, we will be able to find a solution that works for everyone and make things happen. So that's the easy question. As to my background, hmm, let's see, I've got over 25 years that I admit to, because uh, I just look too young to have any more. Uh, around HR. So you started when you were 20? You started when you were 10. (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking 16 is a good time. Age is unimportant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what they tell me. Okay. We'll talk about that on a different podcast. Okay. But I I think the, the big thing is, is that I've had a wonderful career working with some of the smartest leaders who are just unknown. They just do what they do. And when you look at the bell curve of performance in general, you know, you'll always have on one side about 15 to 20 percent of leaders who are really great leaders who get it and not just get it intellectually, but they're able to put it in practice. And I I think I must have been sitting in that 15 percent for a very long time. Um, Because now that in the last um, 15 years, 16, 17 years now, I've been out here on my own helping to grow other leaders, helping them navigate and figure it out. My favorite saying is, is that it's not my job to ride the horse. It's not my job to be in front of the horse, which is leading it. It's not my job to be behind it, which is picking up the poop. My job is to help you be a better rider and to take the course um, in the best way that you can take the course. So I'm an enabler. I enable people to be better leaders. And leadership is just simply this idea of how do we influence people for the good? Hmm. Uh, How do we get people to be self-motivated, to understand what it looks like when we're doing it right and when we're doing it right collectively? So that's it. Um, I started this company 
in 07-ish, thereabouts, called Remarkable Leadership Lessons. And people always ask me one question. So what is remarkable um, about these leadership lessons? Before you answer that question, though, I'd like to ask you what motivated you to start the company. Oh, to start it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, I'm a values-driven person. Hmm. And I always say that my values are God, family, and then work. Okay. And uh, in 06, I came to Charlotte, found myself in the wrong situation. I bring my tribe of people with me, which was my father and my mother and uh, my kids. My dad did not do well in the move. And Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have doctors here and people who understood what was going on. And as as my attention had to go with him, at the same time, the economy was turning up. Mm-hmm. We were going into the recession. I was working for a mortgage company and it just didn't work uh, because relationship and compassion didn't work. And I'm pushing one thing. They're pushing another agenda. And I had to choose. And so I chose my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, we amicably said, bye, right. um, out of the situation. But then I was stuck here and I had to figure out what to do Wow. and how to reinvent myself. Um, and so I started, you know, picking up the phone, dialing for dollars to some of my friends. And I built a virtual business on one of my own. You know, a few weeks ago, I was telling some folks in a speech that I generally never meet my clients face to face. I've been doing this for 16 years, all virtual. And, um, you know, they're great people. I like to think they do well. Their testimonials say they, that they really like me for some reason. I don't know. Um, you, don't need to, you don't need to answer that question. Just keep doing what you're doing, <laughs> right? You work from yeah. your heart and your mind and your soul and uh, you make good things happen. And, and yeah. yes, that is my intention of doing it that way. But I'm really, the gift that I have is that I am able to see in you what is great about you and to pull that out. Mm. And so, you know, you know, that story I can tell you is, is I was the head of a HR for a gas company up in Chicago needed to reinvent itself. And they hired me to help clean up the HR department, put together a little team. And there was this woman who had been there probably 20 years doing the same job she'd always been doing. I put her on the team. People were questioning, why would you put her on the team? I said, well, I put her on the team. At any rate, afterwards, they, um, she and the rest of the team were able to pull out about $15 million um, of cost and restructure the cost so that there was a big savings and position the company for acquisition uh, merger. But one day at, afterwards, she I came and I was telling her how great a job she did. I told her I really appreciated her efforts and whatnot. And she looked at me and she said, why did you pick me? And I was like, what? What do you mean? Why did I pick you? Why did you pick me? I said, you're talented and I believed you could have done the job. And she looked at me and she says, nobody's ever believed in me like that. Mm. And so you have you have this talent of being able to see that in people when others don't and just pull it out. Yeah. Get you to believe it, because if you don't believe it, then it doesn't come out. How do you draw that out of people? Well, side note is, is that I, I think ultimately we are taught to be invisible. And so it's kind of a hard thing for us to suddenly be visible. And so it's helping people to see and talk about what do you already do? What is it that you do that you just do? And typically what they do is what is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And they don't think about it because it comes too easily. Gifts, 
you know, true gifts are things that are, you're just endowed with. And we all take them for granted. Talent, you have to work at it a little bit. So you kind of feel like, you know, you earned your talent. But a gift is something, it's just the way you're made up. It's the way you've learned to do work, to be with other people, to, you know, navigate this life. And we often poo-poo it because it comes too easily. Well, it's that easy piece that is generally your strength. And if you can identify it and leverage it, that's when things get really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I call it the wow factor. Is when you yeah. see somebody do something and you go, wow, Denise, how do you do that? And you go, do what? And you did that. And they go, it's easy. Because just it's, Because it's easy, we diminish the value of it. And that's often an insight into a gift and a talent that with yeah. experience and education and coaching and training, you can turn it into a world-class strength. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so, that, and that's yeah. the interesting thing in organizations is that, you know, um, it, it's funny because we've turned into a society that really applauds rescuing and heroes. Mm. And the real work are those people who keep things from falling apart. Mm. But we don't give them any credit because we just say, oh, you're just doing your job. Right. But 99% of a business, if it's successful, does the same thing day in, day out. It just keeps cranking. And, but we all look for those heroes who suddenly and magically rescue us from right. something. Yeah. And that's kind of backwards. And that also helps us be, remain invisible. Because we're always searching for that magic moment where we're going to become vis- visible and somebody picks me. Hmm. That's that social conditioning all the way through school of, uh, you said earlier, to be invisible because, uh, you know, you're told to shut up, sit down and learn your lessons. Right? Yes. So be invisible. Um and then the ones that get the the accolades are the ones in sports or the top two percent in, edu- in a- academics, and we're leaving out the, the the one sigma average person in the middle that really needs the support and help to bring the gifts out. Yeah, and we're, we're missing or what they're people. doing is really good. Yeah, and it has a place in an organization, but because they're not, you know, you know, sports people, you know. When yeah. you're in sports, and I don't diminish sports, I mean, right. I'm with the best of them. But the issue with that is, is it's still a rescue model, yes. a heroic model. Yes. Um, and businesses don't run successfully year after year after year on the hero model. They run because we do great processes. And this is why I wanted to talk to you about this, because leadership is a responsibility, not a position. We often look at leaders yeah rather than the leadership skills and capabilities needed by every single person in an organization. And if we look at the strengths and look at their leadership capabilities, we can make very, very successful, strong organizations rather than knowing that one or two people are going to make a difference. Absolutely. It's everybody collectively. And that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. How did you come to this? I mean, you, th- this is not a popular way of looking at things in a lot of ways so that you, to see the talents, to see the strengths, to recognize that in people and to realize that, you know, we, we have these cliches, two heads are better than one, but we don't live that. We're looking for that hero, yeah. as you talked about. 
How do we live that? What brought you to that? How did you come to this realization? I think change happens one pebble at a time. So I don't Uh know that there was a big bang. Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity really to do some, some of the most interesting work and a variety of organizations and industries. And I can tell you, looking back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. The things that I started noticing is that, you know, we started going for shareholder value versus customer value mm-hmm. versus employee value. Mm-hmm. We started pulling out people, flattening organizations, this whole idea of fit, you know, fit into this socket that we went. And I started getting very disturbed about those conversations because change happens all the time. And in an organization, one of the things that has to happen is you have to be have a lot of foresight. And we expect the leaders at the top of the organization to have, have a lot of foresight to be able to see what the market's doing, how customer perspectives and preferences are changing, um, money markets. I mean, there's a lot of things that they have to keep an eye on in general to keep an organization moving in a way that it's going to be sustainable. When we started pulling out because the consultants came in and started giving us theories that didn't work in real life they, mm-hmm. because they don't value the people mm-hmm. um, perspective, when you start pulling out, there's a point in pulling out your people, flattening an organization, where you increase your risk of failure. Because now you've got your executives actually doing the work instead of overseeing the process and seeing where the future is. And the more you have your executives focused on managing the work, doing work, actual, you know, that kind of thing versus managing the processes. Um, One of the things you mentioned, you know, we talked about before is, you know, one of my mantras is measure what matters. Well, executives should be measuring the effectiveness of the process, not watching the outcomes. But if you're so busy doing work, you can only measure and watch the outcomes because, you know, we have capacity issues. By pulling out all of those people, you don't have enough eyeballs and knowledge in the organization that's active to be able to say, wait a minute, the process could be improved this way. The process could be is breaking down here what does this mean? These questions that require you to have to actually think about them instead of react to them gets pulled out. And then it got worse in 2008 when the country kind of went through this crisis, um, financial crisis. And what I started seeing was this idea of, I just need to hire somebody who can plug and play, plug and play. Plug and play. I need them to be able to come in, plug and play. If they can't plug and play and I got to train them, I ain't got time for them. Well, what that that fit and that plug and play mentality started doing is all you're doing is replicating what you had. You're not building an organization for sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so now we're caught up in this crisis of just get it done, just get it done, just get it done, because Who's really watching the process and the process? Because so think of an organization. It's not one person doing all the work. It is a series of thing of people, departments that are collectively pulled together and have to work together to produce either shareholder value products and or manage the money. I mean, that's basically what a business does. You have customers, you have employees, you have um, products and you have money. 
But you're not, but if you're not looking at it as a collective and thinking about how A to Z happens and you're only looking at B and C and I'm only looking at D and F, then we're not getting the collective value of humanity, of our brain power of the perspectives necessary to have a a business that's going to be sustainable over time. And so those things started happening. And that's when I started noticing that the heroic idea of, you know, we, the person who fixes things when they break Mm -hmm. became more and more important because we weren't looking at the holistic nature of a business of how people whether their customers and employees are inter- are interacting with our products, and as a, as such, what value are we creating for both, which creates the, the dollars and cents that we have to use to build and reinforce the organization in a variety of ways. So, I, long long answer to a very you know very short question. I hope that helped. Well, it it brings up a bunch of thoughts for me because in my experience, I worked for uh, Scott Paper Company back in the 90s and they were excellent at solving problems. Yeah. Excellent at solving problems. Every day they solved the same problems Um, and they felt great pride in fixing that problem again because of their experiences. Oh, just turn that bolt. Oh, just turn that bolt. Oh, just turn. And I would look at this and I'd go, well, why do you have to keep turning that bolt? Why don't we fix, you know, the root cause, right? Um, and it's just a kind of a, 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 a metaphor for it or analogy or whatever the hell we call it is, is thinking about, uh, the new England Patriots. And I keep having this thought of Bill Belichick running on the, on the field to, uh, throw a football, mm-hmm. you know, it's the executive now in, in yep. the day to day. Right. So they're yep. going to throw the football. I mean, yep. in, in sports that people look at that and go, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Well, then why are we having a vice president of sales, you know, making sales calls? Mm-hmm. Why are we having the vice president of HR uh, calling up companies for bids to improve the uh, benefits packages Right. when they should be looking at what's needed in the marketplace to be competitive and what's, you know, looking at a big, like you say, the bigger picture. I love what you say about the focus on the process because mm-hmm. that's why we need more leadership, not more mm-hmm. leaders. We need right. more leadership and, um, it requires a different set of skills when we start to assess the process rather than looking at the results only. Exactly. The, uh, the analogy I always used, I, I play a lot of national level competitive tennis. And I, I think uh, when I'm playing the game, I'm in the middle of a point. What executives are doing is they're looking at the scoreboard instead of looking at the ball. I'm not going to win the match. And we keep looking at quarterly reports and we say, oh, we're not doing well. And we start keep making shifts, making shifts, making shifts. You're like, no, you need to help your people watch the ball mm-hmm. of pub, uh, production every single day wrapped around mission values and, and, and strategy. So what yeah. you say is right on uh, the struggle that we have today. So and you know what? Okay. One of the things I want to is is it's not necessarily the executive's fault. They're trying to get the work done too because everything's right. been so flattened that right. they don't have much choice to get the work right. done. Right. 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 That's exactly correct. We've created exactly. a scenario where people are just doing the best they can and they're yes. struggling. Yeah. Yes. And no one is is stepping back to say. Okay, and, and I'm not advocating that we have, you know, lots and lots of layers of individuals, but I do think it is HR particularly's responsibility to be able to look at an organization and see where it matters that we have to have 
we have to have development. We have to have opportunities where people can learn with, with lower risk. Um, this whole idea of just, you know, hey, we'll toss that person in there. If they rise, you know, pull themselves up by the bootstraps, da, 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 da. you know, that language, just think and look and feel that language. Toss them in. If they, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the witch, Salem witch trials, right? If if you toss her in and she sinks, then clearly she was a witch, <laughs> right? And, yeah, they've got, they've got rocks on their feet. I mean, they're yeah. going to force them to lose. And I, I would say, since you're talking about that is it's the old, well, that's how I learned sink or swim, throw them in yes. the deep end of the pool. Yes. Well, look, and that's not true. That's the really, really interesting thing. It's not true. It's not true. It doesn't work. It's yeah. not, all you're going to do is you're going to have a few heroes again that can swim, right? You're going to have some people that survive, get to the edge, other edge, uh, end of the pool or the edge, but they're going to be deathly afraid of water. So yes. you, you've, you've made somebody afraid of water and then you've got a bunch of dead bodies at the bottom of the pool. Oh, that's a great training ground. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's a So, so I'm watching, um, I'm watching a scenario right now. Okay. So we're in the COVID-19 um, retail stores and I love retail because it's just fast and it is immediate in the response, right? Manufacturing retail, man, it, I mean, it's quick. So there's this one location. I'm not going to name the company, but right. they, they have a drive-through, and uh, Nation Global. It's a global company. They have one. They have one location, and the and and everybody in retail is struggling with you know people coming to work, feeling safe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, this team of people have figured out how to set up a get people through because they close the you know, the, the uh, place where you come into the uh, store mm -hmm. and it's a food, food and beverage place. Mm -hmm. They figured out how to put together a process that um, she texted me you know, yesterday, let me know that she's so proud of what's going on as a team. They collectively put this together where they have increased their sales by 50% over last year, <laughs> right. over last year. They have gone from, I think she told me, seven or eight bucks um, a sale to they're now up to $23 a sale. Mm. Not one person from corporate has acknowledged them. Yeah. Yeah. Who is watching this? Because it's not like you ain't got a dashboard. That's right. That's and the right. fact that they have not one time called up, and I'm not even saying you got to go. But you could make a freaking phone call on Zoom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Recognize excellence, right? Recognize. Now that, okay, that is remarkable. All right. When you talk about remarkable leadership lessons, that's remarkable. Do you think that maybe they just don't know? I, you know what? I, I think it's back to the original problem that the executives are so, probably so, so busy big, trying yeah. to figure out how to keep the whole company afloat that nobody's looking for the anomalies. Uh, no one's doing it. And so I, the reason this strikes me is because I remember I was working for budget rent a car at the time. We, we had a bunch of stores. It was before it got to send, send in, I think it's owning and now it hurts and the rest of it. And we had to figure out what to do. And we had corporate stores, we had local stores and we had airport stores. We had to figure it out. And the first thing I did was I went to revenue management when they asked me about the problem, and I said, hey, give me a payout of who's at the top and who's at the bottom. 
And I kept my eye on the people who were on the top. And after about three, four months, we would, you know, everybody moves people, right? We were in that, oh, you're really good, Gary. Let me move you to a bigger store. Let me, blah, blah, blah. I need to diversify your whatever. Every time we moved one of the leaders at the top, our revenue went in the toilet for six and a half months. Wow. Nobody noticed. Yeah. That's the same thing happening here. Nobody's paying attention to what's working. They're all focused on what's not working. The hero, this the hero issue. Yeah. We have to make sure that the bottom are not doing. We have to take care of the bottom. We've got to churn and get rid of the D's and the da 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 da. And it's like, no. If we really believe in people, if we really believe in strength-based thinking, always look at the top. What are they doing that nobody else is doing? And let's talk to them. What are they? What are their challenges? How do they see the challenges? How do they define the challenge? Have a conversation with them and understand the beauty and power of simply an executive. Because we're title-oriented, right? We're title-oriented. So yep. imagine the VP of operation, EVP, SVP, whatever the title, CEO, who picks up the phone and just 10 minutes calls that store and says, guys, I just really want to thank you for nothing more than just thinking outside of the box. Your customer score, and they had their um, customer scores that were 15 points above last year. Off the chart, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and we're in the middle of COVID-19. Right. And this is the performance they're giving you and nobody can see that? It, that is remarkable to me. Yeah. And we say HR is important. We say our people are important. And yet we don't have a clue what our people actually do. That matters. If we just pay attention and then we can get other people doing the same thing, it raises the whole organization up. Because nobody comes to work to fail. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. Everybody is just asking you, no matter who it is, they're just asking you, help me be better. Tell me what the playing ground is. Tell me what success looks like. Show me how to get there and then get out of the way and let me get there. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I think we need to stop there. I mean, Denise (laughs) said, you know, that we need to just get out of people's way with the talents and, and strengths and, I take great pride in the fact in the first 25 years that I was in the business, I only fired one person because I was always able to find the strengths. And in some cases, it was moving people out of the position to another position, right? Absolutely. Get them into a different seat on the bus, but they were good people. And uh, I love what you say about focusing on the process. Uh, Yes, focus on results, but only to let you know how to improve the process. What gets measured gets done. You say it a little differently. But uh, that's the basics of leadership and management that you're talking about. And what I'm hearing you say is the problem is that executives are so heads down into the details that they need to lift their eyes up, see the excellence that's right in front of them with the people that are working for them and working hard and understand that people's hearts are to do the best they can with what they have at the time. Yeah. And believe it. Don't just say it. Right. But if you believe it, What are the one or two things that you would do? Yeah. Act like it, you know, act like you believe that. So let's, let's talk about Denise for one more second here. Sure. Oh, I don't know. You could write yourself a letter. Yeah. 
and send it back 25 years ago from when you were 10 years old, what would you say to yourself now of what you've learned uh, through all of this, these challenges and successes? And what, what would you write to yourself? Relationships matter. Yes. <laughs> Relationships matter. Um, and if it's easy, then it's valuable. Um, mm. Because I have to tell you, when I moved here, it never dawned on me that I would not always be with great leaders. Mm. Just never, it never dawned on me because I'd been gifted to work with really smart people who were very focused on um, not heroic leadership, but really how do we, how do we just make this business work for the customers that we have? And that was so fundamental to them. So just, you know, it, it was like their air. And it never dawned on me. You know, I, I read all of the HR stuff. I'd be sitting around. In fact, I remember when I left my first company, um, Monsanto, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've, you know, I got a chance to travel the world to find out what worked, what wouldn't work, what would leadership look like in 2020. And I remember thinking, this isn't hard. You know, let me go out here and show a few people. Mm. And I just picked good companies and good leaders who had heart. And then one day I didn't. And I, you know, if I had to write myself a letter, I'd say relationships matter, stay in touch, value them more, listen more. And ultimately, it is the people who you surround yourself that either we all rise together or we don't. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I would say is, is that there are no bad experiences. They're just opportunities to learn. And the hardest thing or the most valued skill you'll ever get is to learn how to analyze it, put it to the side, and then find a way to move forward. Hmm. It's, it's good advice today for us to take a look at what's going on, what we can control, what we can't control, focus on those things that we can, and move forward. Right? And don't personalize it. It ain't about you. Right. It's not a reflection of you. And in fact, you know, I was as an HR person, anybody, you know, the magic question of Gary, tell me a time you failed. And anybody who told me they had never failed, I didn't want to hire. No, because that meant they didn't risk anything or they were lying to me or they were lying to themselves. Yeah. Mostly lying to themselves. Actually, we have another word for failure. It's called experience. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've had a lot of experiences, but, uh, Hey, Denise, with that, I want to thank you for being our guest today and sharing some really remarkable leadership lessons, something to really think about. And I think for executives in those leadership positions to think about what is occupying their time and what they might be missing, not just in the relationships, but in the results that they might be able to take forward to other parts of the organization and excel. So thank you very much for being our guest. Not a problem. I am so honored to uh, talk to your guests. Uh, thanks. Uh, well, thanks a lot. Uh, I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this is Leading from the Front. Take care. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. 
Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.